You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Jalan True. Alan Seiler. Dang it, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> so I will say, Peldor Joy. <laughs> and Veronica Dashiell. Hi. <laughs> Way to play along, Veronica. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else. Veronica wait, wait, always... wait, 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 wait. There you go. There you go. There you go. Sweet. <laughs> and as we're recording this, folks, today is Thanksgiving Day. That's our our dedication to you guys in this podcast that we're recording this on the holiday itself. That's right. <laughs> it, it's uh, our Trekkie Thanksgiving here this week. I guess first thing we have to be thankful for they've they've at least got some solution to the Paramount Plus debacle from last week that we were talking about. I'm really surprised that this turned around as quickly as it did. Yeah, I think they noticed that they made everybody in the world mad. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, even the North Americans who are actually getting the episodes were infuriated. <laughs> that, that's right. Yes. <laughs> Keith and I, we were talking about this a little bit um, before, mm-hmm. the, before the show, but it's a little bit of a cobbled together solution. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Because what they've, they've got three different things they're talking about in some countries. And for what I remember reading, primarily Latin American countries, which and also I think Australia and a couple others, you can get it through Paramount Plus. But the release from StarTrek.com says where Paramount Plus is available in these countries, mm-hmm. you can get watch Discovery, I think, on Fridays every week. Right. And then they also say for other countries, and this is where big ones like the United, such as the United Kingdom come in, they said you can get it on Pluto television. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of threw out, and then in some of the countries, you can actually buy the Discovery um, episodes. I'm not sure what that means. Are you buying it weekly? Do you have to wait until it's all done and buy it? Yeah. But, the, but l- looking at that list, I didn't see that any one of the solutions covers all the countries that lost it through Netflix International. And right. even just doing a rough count of the ones that can get it through Pluto TV and through Paramount. Netflix International was available in almost 200 markets, mm-hmm. and at its best, Paramount Plus in the next few months will be available in 46 different countries. So it's still pretty tough, and I, I know some of my friends in the UK are still complaining about it because for some people, Paramount Plus is still not an easy access. You can't just sign up for it. Um, you have to put get it through other things like Sky, and then some others talk about Pluto Television as well as access to it. So it's still uh, incomplete and still kind of cobbled together and still a mess. Uh, I've seen a lot of people talk about, well, it was Netflix's fault because they didn't want to renew and they were trying to hold you know, Paramount's feet to the fire. And other people said, oh, it's Paramount because they wanted to hold the money. It's just, um, it's a mess. It's getting better. I mm-hmm. think we're really looking at least first, second quarter next year before this is supposed to truly resolve for international people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It looks like they just sort of, are, what can we do right now to get this episode out? Because right. like you said, I mean, there's a lot of people who are where Paramount Plus isn't there and they're getting it on Pluto, Pluto TV for free. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think the downside of that is that the way now, assuming that Pluto TV works the same way there it does here, that it'll be streaming, I think, at uh, it's at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. 
that Friday. So it looks like you have to tune in to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So I guess there's pluses and minuses to it. I've seen some mm-hmm. varying reactions. I have a friend in Australia who's over the moon because now it's been resolved and you can watch it on Paramount Plus. And then <laughs> a friend in England who um, said, well, I guess now Americans are going to be mad because we're getting it for free. I like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I don't think there's an ideal solution here, but I'm glad they got something together and it, this didn't drag on for months um, before there was any kind of solution. Yeah. As I saw people say, this is like the worst PR nightmare they could have dropped upon themselves, you know, like they did this to themselves. And so it's good that they recognize, you know, that that got pointed out to them by the audience and it got recognized by them and that they had taken steps to resolve it and hopefully, you know, correct some of the PR mistakes that were made by this whole thing yeah yeah because even i mean there were uh cast members upset about this right if you've got your cast like tweeting out across the world how crappy (laughs) your decision was that is not an ideal situation (laughs) no not at all (laughs) good point you know we're we're sort of watching this from here in north america but you know if you're overseas or you know somewhere other than north america and um let us know how this affects you and and what you think of of the solution it's easy for us to look at it on paper and say hey this is good or this is bad but i mean you know if 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 you're dealing with this uh let us know because i'd be really interested to find out how it's affecting people and yeah and and what the takeaway is that is watching a pluto tv worse it's free but do you have to watch it live because that would be uh setting aside every Friday night at nine (laughs) to be in front of your computer or TV isn't necessarily going to be helpful. Oh, I remember the days when we were all watching broadcast Star Trek and that's how you had to do it. (laughs) Yeah, but at least we could set VCRs back then. VCRs, exactly. That was like, that was like a godsend. (laughs) Right. I don't even know if there's that kind of option with Pluto. No, I don't think there is. Not with Pluto. You can't DVR it or anything. Yeah. As far as I know. Well, to your point, yeah, looking at other people discuss that there are always the, the quote unquote alternative means. And that's yeah. one of the things when you look at people trying to do this, you almost end up need to have to work in IT to understand some of the stuff, such as what you guys are talking about. I know with things like Pluto, there's always ways to try to record it, but that mm-hmm. gets into all kinds of tricky stuff. I know some people were talking about using VPN, but that doesn't yeah. really work if you can't sign up because the sign up has to still show from North America. And if you use a VPN, of course, the whole idea behind VPN is you get one of who knows thousands of IP addresses. They've already put locked that down. If it doesn't come mm-hmm. from an IP address that says North America, you can't do it. So that's been kind of interesting watching people figure out ways to get around that, if possible. Yeah, and people will. So I, I, I think they, <laughs> they recognize that. I mean, we talked last yeah. week about, about the, the the mess that Doctor Who was when it first came out in North mm. America. And I'll say I, I didn't wait a year and a half to watch it. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people are going right. to find, find a way. So I'm glad that they're getting it out there at least. Uh, progress. I think we all agree that at least this is some kind of progress from last yeah. week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, Keith, did you have some This Week in Trek for us this week? I do. This Week in Trek uh, during the week of November 21st. We had a, had a couple of birthdays that were kind of interesting. Going back to 1934. Oh, let see if I'm trying to be clever. 21st November 1934. <laughs> This, this actor starred in what some people consider to be the worst Star Trek movie of all time. And I'll leave it there, and I think you can get it. Oh, let's just say, um, what, is, what does God need with a starship? I know the answer already, so I'm not going to guess. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because I follow his wife on, on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> Anybody I, takers? 
I'm assuming this is from like Star Trek. Yes, that's right. Movie. This whole show is going to be about Star Trek. Actually. <laughs> the original <laughs> movie. Come on. Oh, not the original uh, movie. No. no. Actually, it's it's a, it's an actor whose name carries a lot of pedigree that people may not realize. But this is Lawrence Luckenbill, who played yep. Cybok, Spock's. Well, now I guess we have to say one of Spock's unknown uh, siblings. <laughs> Star Trek Five. <laughs> he may have fifteen others that we don't know about. Right. <laughs> what do y'all think about Star Trek Five? I um I saw that years ago. I really don't like it. I have it. I think I've seen it once, and I think I started to say for me, but I think for anybody in science fiction or a lover, if you only see something once, it probably says a lot about it. Mm. And I think I've seen that movie one time, and I can't say that about any other Star Trek property. It, it five is the one with the whales, right? No, that's four. No. That's four. Yeah. Five is the one with God and Spock's brother. Okay, and, apparently I didn't like it because I've wiped it from my memory. <laughs> and, and directed by William Shatner. That's true. right. I think I had an advantage with Star Trek Five because I think I was like eight. <laughs> oh, I'll say that Star Trek Five is a series of scenes that I like a lot that don't add up to a good movie. There you go. Very well said. I love hanging out with Kirk and Spock and Bones mm-hmm. camping. You know, I, I love the that Klingon um, who's chasing him, you know, for, for yeah. no reason. He's just chasing him. He just wants to prove himself and defeat Kirk. I love the scenes with Spock's brother. I love the scene with McCoy getting a flashback to having to pull the plug on his father. I think it's, there's a Good lot point. of really oh, great stuff. There. I remember watching that. You showed it to me for the first <laughs> time a couple, uh, like a month after my dad died. I don't remember that, but I'm sorry. He was freaking out. I wasn't and, like, planned. Per- pushing fast forward, skipping over it. Yeah, I don't remember that, but wow, oh, my bad. <laughs> I-, I wasn't upset. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> she stuck around. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, How about you, Alan? What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I don't think about it that much. Uh, <laughs> so, Charles, I, that's funny. I've never. Well, I've heard movies described. I've heard movies described like that. I've never heard this movie described like mm. that. But I think that actually works because I remember I went to see this in theater. Getting on a personal note, I wasn't working at the time. I had just been laid off from my job and money was really tight. And I had, gosh, the only thing I had a car at the time. So I had to take two buses, a train and another bus to go see it. And I was kind of disappointed. Let's just say (laughs) I I had a lot of personal baggage involved in it. But to your point, when it started, (laughs) when it started, it was it was cool because it was dramatic. The whole thing with that guy on horseback and there's and then that guy when you see Sabok and the guy says you're Vulcan. And I'm like, wow, this is going to be amazing. And then uh, not so much. (laughs) No. Yeah, it, it never really comes together. But like I said, there's a lot of scenes in that movie that I really like. And I mean, there's. Like Star Trek Nemesis doesn't have a scene as charming as Kirk Spock and McCoy camping. You know, that's it doesn't true. have a scene that's as good as, you know, they're, they're facing down God himself and Kirk's attitude is like, prove it. You yeah, know, right. you, you say you're God. Yeah. And then they all right. come together and stand up to him, which I, I don't. I, there's a lot about that movie that I really like. Exactly. Okay. And moving on to also <laughs> born on this on November 21st, 1965. Uh, I'll give this actor's full name, and then you'll probably get his name. Sadig El Tahir Fadel El Sadig Abderrahman Muhammad Ahmed Abdel Karim El Mati. You know who that is, Veronica? No. Oh, come on. A... <laughs> <laughs> come on. Okay. His... Wait, 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 wait. It started with Bashir? Sadig. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's you it. said like the, the full name. When you just started with Sadig, I was like, what? That, yes. that's Bashir, and then you kept going, and you kept going, and you kept going. That's and I, it. Well, that's I got his lost. name. 
That's his name. I was very disappointed. What was it? Season three. Uh-huh. I was very disappointed when he changed his name to Alexander Siddig because I thought Siddig El Fadil was the coolest name. Me too. Me Holy too. cow. And I was like, what? You're just going to like Americanize like that? Yeah, yeah, I read an interview with him, Alan, where he said that basically everybody was having trouble re- pronouncing his name. Yeah, sure. And he said it was one thing with actors did it, but he said he felt that casting directors were having trouble and they were passing him over. So I kind of agree with you. I hated it when he changed his name. Now he says his passport and everything that is legal still says Sadiq yeah. El Fadil. Yeah. But Alexander Sadiq is his stage name. Yeah. Right, as it were, his, his professional name. Yeah. Dr. Bashir, just a great actor introduced on D Spate Nine. For those I've seen him, a lot of other stuff. Uh, one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek, including D Space Nine. Hmm. And also, as those may know, for a time, married to Nanoth Visitor fellow Deep Space Nine actor, they have a son, Django, who was born in 1996. And also, those may know, his father, his uncle, one of his uncles was prime minister of Sudan twice, and his uncle on his mother's side is Malcolm McDowell, another great famous mm-hmm. actor. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, then moving on, there's a couple of so I'll rush through here. Um, 1954, and jumping to the 22nd of November, was the birth of Mark Cushman. Oh. Who's the name that <laughs> some of those in Star Trek may know of? A writer. Great. <laughs> Charles, you usually know who these people are. Yeah, I have opinions about Mark Cushman's work. Ah, we could, we yeah. could tell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was prominent in the center seat. I'll say that. Ah, okay. And for those who don't know, Mark Cushman is a writer that's been associated with Star Trek. He uh, wrote the episode Sarek from The Next Generation. He's so he also, did one good thing. There you go. Yeah. And he contributed to the series of um, story um, document a uh, series of books about the original series called These Are the Voyages and also First Contact. Um, but as Charles said, there's a whole other story about him that needs to be explored. <laughs> All right. 19. Moving forward. Nothing. N- nothing happened the 23rd of November in history, evidently. So <laughs> good. I mean. <laughs> What? I mean, <laughs> maybe in the Doctor Who world. Yeah, I know. Right? That's what I was thinking. There's just a void there. Maybe there's a temple wait, wait, wait. anomaly. Was it, uh-huh. Wasn't it the 23rd when we met? No. No? <laughs> I thought it was, okay. okay, to be fair, it was the night before Thanksgiving that year. Yeah. So it could be within any of those. But that's days. not going to be in his notes. No, but he just said nothing happened <laughs> in history. And so I was adding our history. That's true. Yeah. Veronica and I met 11 years ago this week. Last oh, night. Alan, yeah. Alan, given what you said, if this were Doctor Who, and I could, it wouldn't it be. This sounds like that would be. A, wouldn't that be a Doctor Who thing where if you looked in history, you could find nothing that happened on the twenty third November in a given mm-hmm. year. That, that sounds like cool. something Doctor Who. But skipping to the twenty fourth of November, nineteen forty seven, birthday of one Mad Dog Murdoch. Hey. Wow, I know the name. Yeah, you know who that is, right? No. <laughs> of course, that's Dwight. That's Dwight Schultz, who became famous as Barkley on oh. Star Trek. Yeah, everybody's favorite, favorite wallflower character, who is actually in a couple of my favorite ones. The introduction of Barkley in um, was a Hollow Pursuits, where uh, yep. which is a good one, mm-hmm. and then he came back in the Nth Degree, which is another one of my favorite Star Trek episodes, and then he even figured prominently in Voyager. Yes, he did. And his first appearance, his and Marina's first appearance in Voyager in Pathfinder is one of my absolute favorite Voyager episodes. 
everything yeah. about that episode and but the ending just guts me yes. every time it really so is so good it really is and i like that they made barkley uh, you know kind of useful because they always talk about he was actually really smart and actually i think rather brilliant but i like the way that they they they, they made him really relevant in voyager because sometimes yeah. it's hard to shoehorn in a character from one series into another and i like yeah. the way they did it yep there you okay. go 10 years later same date 24th november 1957 Tashi R. oh denise crosby was born nice yeah also another legendary actress i always wondered what star trek would have been like if she hadn't gotten tired of the show and left but as michael dorn has sometimes said that he doesn't know if his character of Worf would have been elevated if denise cosby's tasha yar who was Mm -hmm. chief of security had remained and so it actually worked out for michael dorn in a lot of ways because at that time some may know gene rottenberry was not even close to sold on Worf as a as a character Mm. And despite all of you know, his talk about uh, cooperation and stuff, he just really wasn't loving Worf as a regular character. And when Denise Crosby left, Michael Dorn was able to get more screen time and really became somebody who, let's face it, is one of the most prolific Star Trek actors ever. Guys crossing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And it's, now it's hard to picture next gen with Worf not becoming the security chief. Absolutely. I've got two more and then we're done. And these are this is some big ones. Um, on November 25th, 1920 and 1929, Ricardo Montalban was born. Okay. In 1920, the late Ricardo Montalban. In 1929, November 25th was the birthday of the late Jeffrey Hunter. Oh, wow. Mm. So we've got Khan Noonien Singh and Captain Christopher Pike. Yeah. <laughs> and two of the greatest of all time, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Two of the goats. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> All right. So I hate to have to correct you, but you missed a, a vitally important one. Hmm. We have to go back to November 21st, the 21st. same day that Alexander mm-hmm. Siddig was, was born. Who's that? A, a few years earlier in 1962. Who's Me. That? Yay. Oh, that's right. That's Yay. right. <laughs> Alan, and I got the note right here because I, I posted that. Yeah, you're right. Our own- <laughs> Woo, baby. Happy birthday, Alan. Well, thank you very much. And until now, I didn't realize that I shared a birth date with uh, Mr. Sittig. Wow. And going back to November 23rd, I have said for years, I think Alexander Sittig would make a, a marvelous Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, good point. I actually oh, think he I think would, would be amazing. Yeah. I think he would, too. Yeah. Good point. And I think that because when, when he was introduced, he was kind of, I guess, what they call a callow youth. He was a bit of a jerk. He was a ladies man. A lot of people, frankly, did not like that character. And then yeah, later a, on, a lot of the other characters on the show. Didn't <laughs> like that <character>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And now he's, he's gone to do so much stuff. He has such character and screen presence. He was raised on Ghoul in the Gotham TV series. He's been in Game of Thrones. He's been in Atlantis series. Yeah, he's, I could definitely have seen him as Doctor Who. I mean, he's hit so many of the genre franchises. The only one left for him is Doctor Who. He's got to do it. Absolutely. At least an episode. Yeah. Yeah. At least maybe, maybe he could be the master. He would be good. Just recently, he was in Foundation. We didn't expect to see him. And I was like, hey, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I haven't watched that yet. And I forgot that he was in it. Now I really have to watch it. (laughs) Awesome. All right. And that's it for this week in Trek. All right. Then we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topic. So stay right there. A 
of the myriad pop culture podcasts, there is one that blends in with them all. Flying under the radar, nagging at you at a subconscious level. Nerd Bliss, where four hosts from the Deep South and anyone that can get to appear for store brand coffee and corn nuts talk about science fiction, pop culture, current affairs, and more. You can find us at nerdblisspodcast.com or on the ESO network. Nerd Bliss. It's one word. Today being Thanksgiving, we wanted to touch on some of the the Thanksgiving uh, elements of Star Trek, both the food and holidays that make us think of the Thanksgiving holiday. And the first thing that sprang to my mind was Charlie X, because there's a scene in Charlie X where Kirk says it's Thanksgiving. It's kind of Thanksgiving's coming up or not. Actually, it was Thanksgiving that day mm-hmm. um, and that the crew was having to eat meatloaf instead. And he wanted the galley to make it look like turkey so that they could at least <laughs> uh, pretend they were eating turkey. But Charlie X used his powers and the chef was surprised when they opened up the ovens and it was real turkeys inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Um, what was funny about it is some may not know is the boy. And there's, there's a couple of things there. We didn't hear about a chef in Star Trek again until Enterprise, mm. because later on with the next generation and so forth, it was just food replicators. And mm. matter of fact, they didn't really eat anywhere other than 10 Ford. And then when you had Voyager, Neelix appointed himself the cook. Mm-hmm. And so you had a chef. But Enterprise, they didn't talk about replicators because they didn't have the technology. And they were always, you know, Triple's always talking about the pecan pie that chef would make. <laughs> so I thought it was kind of interesting that you had a chef. And what some may not know is the voice of the guy who's saying, sir, I put the synthetic meatloaf in there and um, now I've got turkeys, real turkeys. That was Gene Rottenberry himself recording that voice. Yeah. Now you're forgetting a, a brief scene in Star Trek six when they were in a galley. Yes. And I believe yes. they were oh, also right. I was going to say that, too. Yes. A good and one. I thought I remember seeing that for the first time. And I thought that's so odd. I've never thought about people actually cooking on. You know, Star Trek, but um, clearly Voyager intended to have a chef because there's a fully functional kitchen. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and I'm sure all the all the ships have a fully functional kitchen. That's just not something that you see or gets referenced much. Yeah, Yeah. and that's one of the my my favorite things about Enterprise. This is so off topic. About Enterprise is that you had a regular sitting down to table with the senior officers with and you knew that there was a chef because he was referenced numerous times. So, and it was like, he prepared a special meal for them. And I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. 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 Now, Veronica, I know you're real big into uh, making food and drink from Star Trek. Yes. Well, okay. Not really big because (laughs) just because um, I, I got the cookbook and I have proceeded to make zero things from it. However, well, I may have. Okay, so some of the things that were in it I made beforehand. Yeah, let's talk about the things that you have made, though. Okay, so, so apparently I'm really big into it too because I've also made zero. <laughs> I, however, I own the book, the one with Neelix on it. Yeah. And just, right. just so everyone knows, there are hundreds of Star Trek cookbooks out there. I started making a list on huh. Amazon, and oh my gosh. Yeah, but you found <laughs> a lot of recipes before that that you yeah. have made. Um, so we have made, we, one year for, uh, Star Trek day, probably the first year we were dating, um, uh, we made Bajoran Hasbroth, which Ooh. was, which was like a tortilla with cream cheese and, um, 
banana peppers and I don't remember what else we put in it now. No, the banana peppers jump out to me because it was kind of it was a bit not spicy spicy, but it was a bit spicy. Yeah. Well, what's up supposed with to the... be spicy though, right? That's right. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. And it was it yeah. was really tasty. Mm-hmm. And then of course, gah, yep. uh, with the udon noodles and um, soy sauce. But you have to mm-hmm. let it sit overnight. And every time I make it, I forget that part. Um, so they it doesn't congeal quite as much. <laughs> it's more of just <laughs> thick noodles. No, I'm sorry. If you're not serving gah live, then yeah. it's just not real gah. You may as well serving. You may as well be serving like cup of gah. <laughs> or like TV dinner gah. I don't know how often you hear the word congealed used in a positive light in relation to food, but that's a good way to like that. Jello. <laughs> Only jello, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, can I go back real quick? Did you say there's a whole lot of Star Trek cookbooks available? Yes. I mean, I are, did not know this. Official ones, you know, but just okay. ones that people have published. Huh. I've never looked this up. I can't believe it. Well, she yeah, made a wh- list on Amazon. Yeah, when you when you start looking at it and um and then it makes suggestions of other things for you to look at and you just like keep going and keep going. <laughs> the thing you have to be aware of there is someone out there that does cookbook um covers. So it's a cookbook, but mm. you have to put your own recipes in it and it has a cool Star Trek cover. Yeah, that doesn't help. Th- those those are those are not Star Trek cookbooks. No. Those are blank notebooks yeah. <laughs> with Star Trek on buyer beware. Uh I see. Yeah. So we are going to uh, come up with our own cookbook, right? <laughs> with our own sure. version of, of Star Trek recipes. Yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. Earth Station Trek presents. I mean, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> I bet you okay, so great stuff from Cisco. Oh, that's true. <laughs> um, we could do a whole episode about Cisco and his family and his yeah. history with, with uh, restaurants and cooking. Yeah. But Veronica, what is a dish that you haven't done yet that you would like to try? Or um, instead of like, you know, humanized versions of these things, what are some of the dishes that we've heard about on Star Trek that you really are intrigued about and would like to try the actual thing? And this is for all of you, not just for Veronica. None. I, I'm. <laughs> well, I'm intrigued by that. That meal that Rock Tack was eating on the recently on Prodigy oh, was yeah. it mm. Nutra Goop or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they acted like it was just like ooh prison rations, but it like it looked pretty good. It looked pretty savory. Yeah, okay. I, it, it maybe just be a whole bunch of stuff mixed together because that's the maybe. Well, that's how I like cooking is dump everything in one pot, <laughs> stir it up, and it looks like this brown goo, but it tastes awesome. So I mean, at least that's what your family tells you. <laughs> <laughs> they eat it. <laughs> right yeah for me for some reason although i don't know if it's con- it would be considered bland or not is i've always heard about vulcan plenique soup which yeah. is goes oh, all yeah. the way back to the original i think series, we have made that too it. yeah what's in it uh oh gosh i don't remember it was it was it was it was kind of <laughs> it's like chicken soup and there were some like green thing it was that you broth could... though there wasn't was broth. chicken yeah it. right there's it yeah. was broth it, yeah. it should be a vegetable broth that's right yeah right right yeah it, um yeah i, I would love to soup do that. always struck me as being a bland dish i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't expect the vulcans to be ruled into spices maybe yeah. I'm wrong. and you know that's the you know that, 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 that what you're saying there charles that's always interesting because sometimes when you portray a race that on the surface is considered kind of unexciting and bland you could actually you could write the vulcans where all their food sucks or you could write the Vulcans where their food is incredibly spicy and flavorful, which might surprise you. You might yeah. go, wow, I didn't know who knew the Vulcans had taste. Yeah, that's true. Um, they don't seem to, but 
Yeah, I was always curious about Vulcan Clinique soup because that was a thing that Nurse Chapel in the famous episode of Mock Time made for Spock. And the, the great scene where the bowl goes flying across the hall mm-hmm. know, because he's because he's, he's he's freaking out. And you hear it. <laughs> um, Neelix makes it for Tuvok and Voyager, so that's that's definitely become a Star Trek thing. It's not as well known as Gok, of course, mm-hmm. but I've always been curious about it. What about you, Alan? Gok. Oh, Come on. You, you want to try live gawk? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> because they're live worms. I'm adventurous. <laughs> okay, okay you, you can try them by going out into your yard and digging up some worms and eating them while they're still wiggling. Uh, well, those, well, that and then you can get some tube grubs while you're out there, too. For the That's exactly right. Look at that. <laughs> um, no, but I am I am interested in Hasperat. Um, I would love to try that. Uh, it might be, I'm going to assume, too spicy for me, but I would still mm. love to try it. Yeah, it always sounded like it was really intriguing. Yeah, goofy name, but uh, okay. And here's the <laughs> other one. Here's I really, really want to try Canar. Mm, yeah, that's yes. one of the that's one of the wine options. Which well, yes, soon, yeah. but but, real but it's supposed the real, to be real but it's yeah, yeah yeah it's supposed to be kind of fishy and it's supposed to be very thick <sighs> and you know I would love to see what that's like. Um, the, the wine people that put out the, the special, really expensive, fancy bottle, you know, Star Trek wines has a canar in the authentically shaped bottle. And I might have to yeah. buy one just to get that bottle. Yes. But it's just a wine. I would really right. like for them. They don't have to make it fishy tasting, but I would really at least like them to make it a little thicker than a normal wine mm-hmm. just to get that, you know, sort of like that idea of the, of the more viscous nature of canar. Yeah, I would yeah. love it. So canar is supposed to be fishy, like fishy, isn't it? Fishy? Or is it? I, oh no, it's yamak sauce that's fishy. So I don't know what the canar is supposed to taste like, <laughs> other than it's supposed to be really thick. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe, well, okay, maybe not fishy. So then they could just make it a thick wine. Well, it might make sense because Kardashians are. Uh, this is Kardashian, right? Yeah. Kardashian. Yeah, they are reptilian, so maybe right. that's why it would tie into something like that. Exactly. I think everything they eat is fishy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm big into coffee, so I would like to try Rectagino. See, I think that would kill me. <laughs> Maybe. It, just, well, does- it just sounds like it's like <laughs> the most intense caffeine punch that you could imagine. And I just don't think I should have any. Yeah. So fun story about Rectaginos. We have found no less than four Rectagino mugs at Goodwill before. Mm. So we oh, have wow. like. Well, they weren't screen used, I'm sure, because there was a company that was like mass producing. Them. Yeah, but yeah, they're the same cups they used back in the 90s. And you could yeah. find them occasionally at Goodwills. Just don't um, try the ones around my house because I am I always look for them. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stay away from this area. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also fascinated by Klingon blood wine. Is there blood? Yeah. In That's what I want to know. I don't know if there is or not. They may just call it that because of its color. Who knows? Yeah. But I would imagine being Klingons that blood is in it. At least some. Right, exactly. Did. Exactly. Yeah. The post COVID, those scenes make me uncomfortable when everyone's <laughs> dipping their mugs back into the thing. Like that's certain, a good point. There are certain although, things now you're just like, Ugh. yeah. Although maybe it would kill everything that's in it. You know, that, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And plus, Klingon constitution is so strong that it's not gonna yeah. affect them that's anyway. True. You know, what I was thinking, Alan, it's so funny you said that. I was thinking the day when I was thinking about food. And of course, the most obvious ones with Klingons would be things like gah and blood wine. And they never miss a chance for Klingons to make fun of humans or non-Klingons who can't stomach their food. And it's funny right. because if, if you think about the difference between species, 
That doesn't necessarily mean that Klingons are tougher than us. It just means that they their systems can eat something we can't. Case in point, Worf enjoys prune juice, which is, he calls it a warrior's drink. And of course, warrior's it became drink. You know, a joke. So there may be some really minor food like saffron that humans <laughs> could eat that could put Klingons on their backs. You know? so. <laughs> well, we know that Quark and Garrick both agree that root beer was vile. Yeah, yes, well, they that. are correct about that. Yes, <laughs> yes. they I are. Love root beer. I 100% agree with them. No, I so since we're on drinks, my favorite is not actually in the series, but was at Quark's bar once mm. upon a time. Um, Warp Core Breach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we have made oh, in yeah. this giant. I don't know if you've like seen the pictures from the Corks Bar that used to be at the Circuit mm-hmm. Experience in California, mm-hmm. but it's this yeah. giant thing. We even got like food grade dry ice and put all the mixers together. Yeah. We had this giant bowl. Oh, it was so good and so awesome. Mm-hmm. And okay, um, a lot I'm gonna, of work. I'm going to make a proposition <laughs> here. We need to do a show at some point, maybe our one year anniversary, where we have it all together in person. We have a big vat of Warp Core Breach. And we do a drunk trek cast. <laughs> yes. And we just with start, video. We start fine. We drink as we go, and it gets sloppier and sloppier as the hour progresses. <laughs> How go. about that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 500% agree. Speaking of drinks, Veronica, I forget the name because I didn't look it up, but there was the one episode of The Next Generation where Troy won some kind of bet, and Data made her a drink that when he, like, he, hit it with his nail the drink glowed or something yeah. like that remember that yeah. they called it a sunrise or a sunset or the, something it was like a sun, that? someplace some like sunrise. a tamarian like sunset tamarian yeah. is that it yeah yeah i've always liked to see how you could make something like that because it right. really did have like a lighting effect inside of it when he mixed it together i that's don't know what actually, that was all about that's at least one of the books that was out there that i found was like star trek drinks but you can also find mm. those pretty easy online there's like some of the people that were bartenders at the corks mm. bar mm. that like mm. put out hey this is what we put in it you can't get this anymore but this is a good substitute and hey you have to put this in first and you have to get this particular brand because otherwise it doesn't mix properly oh that's cool yeah that's really awesome i would like to take a, a page from waxana's uh book and you know, my Ferengi captor, if I ever have one, <laughs> and um, uh, finagle a way to make him an Arcturian fizz, <laughs> which I love the way that she like over enunciates the Z at the end. <laughs> it's not just an Arcturian fizz, it's a fizz, <laughs> which means it's yeah. just got extra oomph. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I've noticed no one has expressed the desire to try those Play-Doh cubes from the original series. No. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I wonder why that might be. Yeah. Jello. The book that I was yeah. looking forward to, I know uh, Dorothy Duter, who was, um, mm-hmm. she was the, the like food designer for mm-hmm. a lot of the Star Trek shows. And mm-hmm. um, she's married to Dr- Doug Drexler in real life. But she mm-hmm. was putting together a Star Trek cookbook, a thing of, of the recipes that she actually used. Because a lot of times you have to eat this food on set, or even if it's just decorative, they would make it out right. of food. Um mm-hmm. But I think she ran into some problems getting that published. So uh, mm. if that ever comes mm. out, I'll definitely be mentioning it because that was something I was looking forward to because she actually did the food for the shows. That's amazing. Yeah. So were, so were those food cubes ever anything real or were they always just some kind of dough or, or Play-Doh or something that they wouldn't eat? Because I don't think I ever saw anybody actually eat one of I don't those. know. I know they, they, they did the food cubes again um, mm-hmm. in, for In a Mirror Darkly for Enterprise. Yeah. But I, I don't remember if anyone actually ate them or if they were just decorative. 
You know, what's interesting about that is what we're talking about is food, of course, is representative of one's culture and also what, what, what you think of a, of a people. And it's funny, I was thinking about so many people have never watched the original series, especially you know, very young people. Mm. And I was thinking you could find somebody who's like who's 20 years old, who's never watched the original series, who would find those food cues weird and completely inexplicable. But for those of us old enough to remember, if you remember back in the day, literally people thought that in the future we wouldn't eat food. Yeah, there was right. this whole thing where you would have literally you could eat a tablet, take a tablet and all That's your right. nutrition would be in that. And they thought that maybe in the future people would become a sterile and you wouldn't worry about these things such as cooking and you know, especially killing and cooking. Yeah. And so those cues were the 1960s vision of what people in the future were going to how they were going to eat. Mm-hmm. And that carried on just a little bit in the next generation with, to me, kind of weird scenes, such as the time when Dr. Pulaski had to explain to the data how people like to come together to eat food. And Riker, <laughs> Riker made the omelet that was actually scrambled eggs, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, but it's so funny because those food cues, which seem insane, that was absolutely the normal view of the future back in the day. Mm-hmm. But a yeah, lot of yeah. people. Completely. In fact, in the in the first season of Doctor Who, there was a food mm-hmm. production machine, and it okay. would make little sort of tablety kind of things like that. But whatever you wanted it to make would be in the tablet it produces for you. So yeah, Ian, of that. course, was like, oh, I can taste the eggs and the sausage and the bacon and the whatever <laughs> in this one little tablet. And he was like blown away by that. Yeah, so, nice. yes, that is exactly, you know, a vision of the future. Yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated by uh, depictions of the future from the past. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, yeah. like C.S. Lewis has novels, uh, the the space novels that were written before we ever had rockets, and yeah. so his depiction of traveling in space and to Venus and stuff like that is so fanciful and so fascinating to me. That's a whole different right. topic. Yeah. <laughs> and if you and if you notice, what's always fascinating me about Star Trek is for all that Star Trek, even with the starting out with the food cubes, is this hyper evolved future, hyper advanced future. They always, at the end of the day, it goes back to Gene's vision of humanity in the future. They always want to get keep us in touch with what they consider to be the basics. For example, if you think about it, just about every captain in Star Trek, at least in the old ones, was like had some weird quirk where they like real books or they, or they liked to sail or they lived in houses that looked <laughs> like they built it with their hands. And cooking became an expression of that. Because I remember this episode in The Next Generation where Chief O'Brien was talking to um, Keiko about how he was going to teach, he was going to cook for her. And Keiko said, he talked about, I think his mother was a master chef, master cook. And Keiko said, your mother handled real meat with her bare hands. Yeah. And she was stunned that he didn't have replicated meat. And I and I love it that people like that and Cisco are always the ones who remind who are always the symbols of no matter how far technology goes, these basic things that we consider part of human culture and coming together are gonna remain in place. And if they don't, we need to bring them back. Mm. So I always found it very interesting that there was always that debate about modern food and replications versus good old fashioned doing it with your hands. Well, I can totally see society evolving to the point where we no longer eat animals. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. honestly see that coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And they've said that um, for Strange New Worlds, that cooking is going to be a big thing for Captain Pike and that yes, a lot of right. a lot of meetings uh-huh. with his crew are going to be around the, the table as he's cooking for them. So that, mm-hmm. that, that will be awesome. Yeah. Yes, it will. And it'll make me hungry every episode. (laughs) Um, Real quick, one of my favorite recent scenes um, was from 
Discovery season two, three, or three, where they had the big Thanksgiving meal yeah, that was around the table, not. and the whole like um, senior crew got around the table, and you know Kayla had her massive wig out because she was. <laughs> you know ptsding but uh, but the whole idea of them doing that was really really wonderful and I, I i thoroughly enjoyed those scenes yeah me too that that was one of the first ones i thought of as well that was just a great um it didn't end great but it was no, uh, but it it's, did not it's, it's nice to see the crew um in a casual setting when yeah the world's not ending around them all the time and i do enjoy the the on discovery the mess hall yeah. I enjoy them when they're at lunch and they're all just joking around and you don't see it very often, hmm. but there was the, the episode where they're playing the word game and, you know, Linus is with them and, and they're like, all right, so you ready? And he's like, I hatched ready. And they're just like, and I just love that. I, I want to see more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. All right. So um, I guess that's it for, <laughs> for our little Trek's giving episode. <laughs> um, yeah, let us know in comments too. If, if what do we miss? What what are your favorite Star Trek foods and drinks, and drinks and get-togethers and holidays in the Star Trek universe? Uh, because we have to do this again next year for Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, give us some ideas. I also noticed none of y'all claim the rations that Chief O'Brien likes to eat. Yeah, that's true. No, no I did not. <laughs> All right, so we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about the second episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery. So stay right there. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I would say that E3 maybe isn't the event that it once was, but everybody still plans their event around the E3 schedule. Steven Spielberg could throw out a gum commercial and we'd all watch it because it's Steven Spielberg. Dragon Age 4 is carrying, I think, the future of Bioware on its shoulders. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and right here on the ESO Network. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This is not a drill. <laughs> All right. And we're back into <laughs> Star Trek season four, or Star Trek Discovery season four. Uh, in this episode, uh, Anomaly, which is a, mm-hmm. a title that wouldn't be out of place on Voyager Enterprise. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's the most poetic of titles. <laughs> yeah. But I, I enjoyed this one, though. They, there was a lot of scenes of just the characters talking to each other, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times on Discovery, they're dealing with epic things all the time. So it's it was yeah. nice to get a lot of character moments in this one. That's true. Uh, except, and this is something I've mentioned before, and it happens uh-huh. toward the end, and uh-huh. I don't mean to jump ahead, sure. but except when it happens in the middle of a crisis. Alan, I noted that you. Is, that is a I thing. noted you two or three times, Alan, so go for it. <laughs> that is a thing that Discovery does that drives me bananas. Yes. Yes. And, and so... I actually timed it this time. They were like, <laughs> they were like, I'm not kidding. Hey guys, so it's not like, me. It's not me. No, they're like, another, another shockwave will be here in less than two minutes. Yes. Look, we need you to do a thing. And yes. He can't do it. And she's like, they talk, she talks for three minutes <laughs> to get him, to get him to do the thing, to ride the wave out. Yeah. And I, everything yes. stops for them. Like no more debris hits any of the ships or anything so that she can have, a discussion 
a really private discussion with him. Oh my God, it drives me nuts. Okay, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon too because Alan mentioned this last week, and I and I and I hadn't really thought about it, but and and they mean well, and you need those interactions, but it's it is clunky because Alan, um, following along what you said, when Stamets Stamets and um, Book were in the middle of almost dying, they had a heart to heart talk. Oh and yes, of course. It just it just seemed like to me it was kind of. Like, that was kind of the wrong place. Now, there's a way you can do it. You can kind of say, look, man, I know we're not close to blah, 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 but I got you. I got you back. I understand you. But you're, to, to what you're saying as well, I'm like, this is a really kind of heart-to-heart talk you have after the danger. Yeah. Not in the middle, well, not like that. And it did it, feel clunky. It's okay for them to have the conversation if they keep doing the work they're doing while they're having yes, it. Yes, yeah. but they stopped and they, t- they were talking. You're right. And I thought... This is inserted wrong. <laughs> well, that's the same thing we said last week when she was asking yeah. the president, um, you yeah, know, did you yeah, really yeah. know about his home planet or whatever? And it's like, why, why are you having this conversation now? Like, we're <laughs> exactly. Still in exactly. danger. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I think they need, they need to polish that up just a little bit because I, I it really did stand out today. And in all space, it feels like they said, okay, insert meaningful conversation, insert bonding moment right now. Yeah. <laughs> if nothing and, else, just have the actors keep moving their hands on the console. <laughs> like exactly right. still working. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because the com- the conversation between Stamets and Book was actually, it, it actually was really deep when yeah. he yeah. said that I... Basically, he still feels bad because Book had to save those he loved and he couldn't do it. That mm-hmm. I didn't expect that. And that was actually a deep conversation, just kind of in the wrong place, I thought. Yeah. I mean, but he did keep working on the little whatever that thing was that he was working on. So, <laughs> you know, how he can yeah. concentrate on that and talk to Book about losing his family. I don't know. But yeah, well, yeah. I was just glad that they they. I was expecting this season to start and Stamets to still just be mad at Burnham and not be his mm-hmm. like and I, thought too, I thought it was gonna be kind of like the Detmer thing last year or the the Pike and yeah. um what's his face thing the year before like and it'll be like the first six episodes and then they'll have an adventure and get over it. And right. I was expecting that. So I, I was glad it seemed like Stamets has sort of moved on already from yes. and brought it up in a joke. And brought yeah, it up in a joke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I did find that a little strange, but we know that uh, what was it? Five months have passed since the yeah. end of last season and this season. So you can't keep that as a through line. They they referenced it in the best way that they could have done. Yes, I agree. And, yeah. and I, so I was I kind of appreciated their approach on that one. And I, I like Stamets so a little lighter. So I'm oh yeah, I'm, without I'm glad. Me, me too. Me too. It was it was funny when Tilly was kind of going into a Stamets. <laughs> even realized it after she'd like yelled at um adira 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 yeah adira. um i love that scene yeah yes. for one thing i love the the moments where tilly takes on the a commanding role yeah because yes. we didn't see that for the first two seasons and then mm-hmm. in three she had the you know tilly you have to take over the ship after you've just become <laughs> first officer and she stood up to um green lady Oh, Syra, thank you. Um, and, and ever since then, she's she's had those moments where mm-hmm. and I just think she's fantastic when when we get those. I'm also really intrigued at the end of the episode where she asked Colbert for counseling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm loving that. Love and I love that she I mean, maybe she shouldn't hundreds of years in the future feel awkward about that. But I kind of like she's an awkward person anyway. Yeah, exactly. It was awkward for her to. Right to ask for help like that. And I love that Adira is really wants to impress Tilly and that Tilly's able to become a little bit of a mentor there. 
Yeah, exactly. Because as we talked about last week, Adira is definitely taking on the season one Tilly role Mm -hmm. this year. And I'm really loving it. Yeah. We got a little forward motion with Gray. Yeah, we certainly did. And a really great reference back to Picard. Picard. And, you know, we we mentioned that, you know, when we saw the Picard uh, situation. Yeah. Is that going to be a way that they're going to, you know, bring Gray into the scenario? And mm-hmm. there it is. And they even tell you right on screen, this is mm-hmm. a technology that developed back when, you know, Picard was an admiral and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And so I'm and they it. covered it where they don't use it very often because most people didn't yep. take. So it you can't use it in the. In so the that's why everyone's periods. not a sense now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. To, 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 to get to get a little more detail on that since at this time period are they still what we would consider to be artificial life forms there's still things created and built in a lab they're not completely organic beings like clones is that right my take on it was that they were they're kind of like uh the replicants in blade runner or mm-hmm. the robots in rur where they're made mm-hmm. from synthetic materials but they're indistinguishable yeah. or all but indistinguishable from humans so yeah, i don't think like they're data. grown like by the cell i think they're constructed uh-huh. but i don't quote me on that they could change so their mind on that whenever they want. So they're not pure circuits like data. They're not just right. pure like you'd open up and you see metal and yeah. fiber. Yeah, you'd open up and find sort of th- synthetic blood and synthetic organs. Okay. Um, but it's made from something other than biological material that mimics biological material. That's my uh, take. Yeah, on it. but we haven't really seen enough of it yet. Mm-hmm. Right. That's we right. saw the one guy last season. Yeah. And now what they're doing with Gray. So maybe we'll learn a little bit more about it. I mean, we know that the body that Gray is getting will age naturally mm-hmm. so you know it, it has to have some either organic or organic like component right. to it yeah they call them flesh and blood androids in picard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah they haven't said i guess if gray will have superpowers but i guess i would guess not it seems like dodge and soji are the only sense we're going to get with superpowers or that we've gotten so far yeah and is the point by going the reason that gray would have to be a synth and not a clone because they don't have any material to clone Gray. I guess they don't. That would be any... my assumption. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, know. I always would think. Me personally, the note I made was uh, even if it's to what you're saying, Charles. Even if it's a like a replicate, that's a good example. Mm-hmm. I wrote down I would always rather be cloned from my own cells than built from a synth. But then I forget that they don't probably don't have anything left with Gray. And I don't know if the prescription against cloning exists 800 years in the future. Yeah. To me, that would be kind of weird if it still did. But yeah. There's a whole show you could have just on things like cloning and synths in the Star Trek universe, because at some point in time, they're going to have to address the fact that you could be functionally immortal in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. yeah. What do you do about that legally? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they kind of get around it with saying it doesn't seem to take all the time with sense. Maybe how they're getting around that. But you could still clone people in the future and transfer their minds. A well, lot. They, they did kind of mention that a few times in TNG, one with mm-hmm. Data's grandpa. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you're a lady killer grandpa or whatever it was he said and then the other people uh, and i don't remember which episode this was but there was a group of people who were like continuous clones and they basically did it in the way that when you copy from a cassette to a different cassette and then from the second yeah. cassette to a third cassette you lose mm-hmm. definition and that's what was happening with those clones is that it's not a process that you can continuously do you right. lose you lose uh, the quality of the original 
Yeah, that was uh, that was that that was that weird episode, Alan, with the strange Irish planet. Oh no, no, no! Forget I even brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> up the long ladder. <laughs> oh my god! And I said I never referenced that episode, and now I've made a liar of myself. Anyway, yeah, sorry. I, full confession. Full confession here. You know, I hate to be I hate to be me again. Um, full confession because I'm going to stay open mind. I was ju- I was jotting down that the science of the anomaly makes no sense. And shocking. Yeah. I, know, I can't right? believe so, you wrote that. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just gonna say I'm gonna leave it alone and wait because yes. um there's no way that black holes can have a gravity field that extends five light years from it. And also this is something that still I'm confused, so I'm just gonna let it go. If it's gravity, gravity only travels at the speed of light. Mm-hmm. And they haven't said that the anomaly is traveling at, at warp speed yet. So I'm trying to understand how it could be positioned here and affect an entire quadrant or anything light years away. Because gravity can only travel at the speed of light. So I, I got a little confused in that. And I don't think they, they didn't do techno babble to explain it. No. So I'm, I'm just noting that I'm, I'm still, jury's still out on the anomaly. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well. I had the same thought that they were mm-hmm. speculating that it was two as a binary black hole, a binary black star, but they, which is going to increase the effect of it exponentially. Sure. But they didn't make any comment about how it's traveling. Like right. you, you would think right. they'd say, and strangely it's traveling at warp speeds or exactly. anything like that, to. you know? Right. Yeah. Otherwise they, it's like, well, we've got 17 years before it gets to that next planet. So <laughs> exactly. That That's planet. what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and, and they still don't know. And that's why they haven't commented on it because this one came up on Quajon and they don't know how it came up and no one knew it was coming. Right. That's it. Because otherwise, except, like, that, except that they said, Tilly said, if a black hole isn't actively consuming matter, then it's almost imperceptible. Right. But if it's five light years across, how can it not yeah. be having some kind of matter? It yeah. would. And for that matter, have you ever heard of the term gravitational lensing, Alan? Probably. <laughs> um, gravi- no. and, and here I go. I, I swear I'm going down the. I swear I'm going down the Mr. Wizard, Mr. Wizard hole, and I apologize. But to what you're saying, Alan, the one way we can detect black holes and even dark matter is because if you look at them and they're in front of you in, in space, their gravity warps light, almost oh, yeah. like looking for a Coke bottle. Right, right. So right. again, if you've got a black hole system with five light years wide of gravity. You mm-hmm. could see it because if you go up in the night sky and look, the stars would literally yes. be distorted. So you could see it coming yes. if it was coming at, the, at less than the speed of light. So. Exactly. So it's, yeah. it's, it's teleporting or it's traveling really fast or something. Yeah. Right. And now they've right. discovered that it travels at an unpredictable pattern, yeah. which mm-hmm. is going to make the rest of the season a little more chaotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, it would be hard to stretch this out for a whole season if it didn't have something like that. Yeah, exactly. If they're going to explain it, I mean, you can have it do whatever you want in Star Trek. Just don't give it real world terms. Is subspace (laughs) and tachyon, blah blah blah, and let's get on with the story. We don't. We don't need to know that. that We know what black holes are, or you know, as far as our science does. But absolutely, um, yeah. What does anyone have any theories about the the anomaly yet? Is somebody behind this thing, or is it a natural occurrence? It's not a natural occurrence. You don't think so? No. Who do you think's behind it? Um, Asira. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That fringy with the weird ears? Yes. <laughs> you know what was so funny? And I know this has nothing at all to do with it, but at the end, when they were, you know, they did that mysterious, oh, the anomaly changed course and all that stuff. When they pulled back, I swear yeah. that when they show what looked like the gravity it's distortion. Eye. It's an eye. That's it's it. I eye. thought the same yeah. thing. I'm like, it's a celestial. <laughs> it's a celestial. 
Wow. <laughs> well, hopefully it'll be Nagilum from that weird oh, episode. Oh, <laughs> it did look like an eye, but I thought it was pretty it cool. Did. It looked like a like a like a weird like a like weird gravity distortion. I thought it was pretty yes. neat. Yeah. Looking. Yeah. Maybe it's the ORI. What? Maybe it's the ORI. Oh. oh. Cross the streams. Yeah. <laughs> um, for some reason, this is the weirdest thing. I don't know if I was ha- kind of halfway expecting them to say that Book's Planet wasn't completely destroyed, even though I saw it blow up, or they find some people by now, because they're still looking for survivors. And I'm thinking, you know, that's kind of the thing with the Romulans and the, you know, the Abrams verse stuff. It's like, you wonder how many people are off planet at any given time for certain right. planets. Because they're still and looking for somebody. They're looking for people who were off world when that happened. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. Book is the only one that they know of. Right. That's well, a mess. You would expect maybe those guys on Sanctuary are still there. Weren't they yeah. um, Book's people as well in the Sanctuary One planet uh, where they had all the transforms in the first episode last season? Uh, yeah, they oh. were. That's right. So there may be a few of his guys there. there. That's true. That's very possible. Yeah. Yeah. But it depends on certain cultures because you figure, the, you know, the big cultures humans vulcans romulan stuff like that even if they lose their central planet they're spread out all over the place they yeah. absolutely right. it's one of the things in enterprise and that was before humans had really spread out was they destroyed earth but then they had to go all over the galaxy and keep chasing down humans yeah <laughs> so man it would kind of suck if there's like only 100 of people's book left books people left oh yeah so all things considered he was taking it better than some people might <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, I like that we got to see him struggle with it because that yeah, it's yeah. not the sort of thing that you should bounce back from next week. No, right. right. I, I do think it was good that they let him live in it. Yeah, and right. to wrestle with it, and yeah. and I liked the fact that I mean I loved the you know I'm going on this mission whether you want me to or not, and she's like you're not ready, and he's like I'm doing it anyway, and at the end he says you know what you were right I was not ready, yeah. and <laughs> and that was the catalyst for him to sort of have that you know, break through that wall, that barrier that was keeping him from Mm -hmm. mourning. And I thought that was, I thought that was really well played. Yeah, I did too. I thought that was, and and I, and I also thought, um, Alan, it was, it was at some point in time, good or bad, it's going to have to come up where he's going to have to say, I literally are not part of your crew. And you can't tell me what he just walk into Federation headquarters and he's not, (laughs) I don't understand. I thought thought he was going to have to say, you know, I'm the only Quajon here and I should be involved. And they'd say, okay, but, they all just were awkward for a minute and then just kept on going. I mean, <laughs> she took him on a dip, diplomatic mission last week. This week, he just walks into, you know, the boardroom and like he belongs there. And I just yeah. don't get this. I don't yeah. understand why he's there. You can just walk around and look confident. You can start to look I mean, like you're right so. in. Apparently. If that were our modern times, he'd be a civilian contractor working with the military. Yeah. Try walking but- into the Pentagon. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. They did. They were all. They look kind of awkward. He goes, "Keep going." <laughs> yeah, they're they're in the war room, and he just strolls right in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the funny thing about that scene is that the the bit that we saw of the <laughs> the the future Ferengi in the trailer is exactly the length of as much time as he got on screen in this episode. Like, what yep. is the point of making that that incredibly detailed makeup and him just like having a you know, 15 second. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they, 15 they, I like that they're I mean, filling out the. Oh, I agree. The species, I agree. Though. And, and hopefully we'll be seeing more of him. And I was pleased to see the leader of Navarre back. Yes. Yeah. I love Same her. Here. Love her. 
And I, I we actually got to see the surface of Navarre through a hologram as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it looked more Vulcan-y than Vulcan looked in a lot of previous Discovery episodes. It wasn't <laughs> rain and, and things like that. Um, <laughs> now, Veronica, you, you had asked when we were watching if she beamed somewhere, but I took from it that sort of the, her room acted as a, hol- a holodeck. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah I, think so. I don't remember seeing the like the little thing. Speaking the of that scene, yeah. So Saru walks in and he's like, "You added a holo." Yeah, and she's yeah. like, "Yeah, you know, whatever." And then she says, "Zora, take me home." And he's like, "The computer's called Zora now, so we're making little steps toward that um, that short trick that mm-hmm. I've been waiting to see." You know, they're oh. they're keep laying little breadcrumbs for yeah. us. Yeah. I'm so excited to see how that pans out. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Saru, we talked about this last week. How do y'all feel about the, the the plot device used to bring Saru back as the number one? Although it sounds like he still maintains his captain's rank. He'll just be her number one. No. How did y'all feel oh. about him back? Well, yeah. he, he turned down the captaincy. Though. No, but he still holds the rank of captain. Yeah. yeah. He's still a captain in Star Trek. He still, he still has, has four pips. Oh, he did. Yeah. I didn't but he's kind of okay. like Spock in the later yeah. post-Star Trek uh, Wrath of Khan, where he's Captain in rank, but serving as the executive officer on the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My understanding is certain military things is um, you, you, whoever commands a ship is captain, though, even if somebody out there outranks him, if the other person is captain. Yeah. Uh, did y'all like? Did y'all like that the way he was brought back? I no. guess we kind of figured it was going. Well, it's exactly yeah. what we predicted and exactly it's, what we said we didn't want. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So take, take from that what you think you can infer from that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a little, it was, I, it was, I thought this is exactly what we said last week. And it, and it, it honestly, it kind of sort of sucked. It's kind of like, you need me here. So here I am. Oh, right. Okay. And I turned down my own ship just so I can fulfill this place on yeah. the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we don't have yeah. anybody else to be the first officer. So exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I do like, I think his pen looks really sharp on his uniform. Yes. yes. Um, and I, I like, I like him better as first. Uh, just forgetting the fact that I didn't want him to be in this spot. I like him better as first officer than I liked him as captain. I think that I, I like them making the little Spock reference by calling him Mister Saru, so to get around the yeah. awkward captain yeah. rank thing. Um, I like that he's sort of the Spock to Burnham's Kirk. Yes, um, I think that works much better um, as a dynamic, and so mm-hmm. uh, hopefully they'll they'll get some good mileage out of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the same sort of situation they had last year where. Based because of the setup of the show, they're having to move yeah. people unnaturally to get them into spots they need. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. That's kind of the the problem with Discovery is that yeah. having the show, the star of the show, be her and her not be the captain. You have yeah. to have these sort of unnatural uh, focuses or right. foci yeah. on in these scenes, and yeah. and yeah. I think that we've finally gotten to the point now where it seems more right. Yeah. I actually like Saru as captain. I think I'm an outlier on that one. I actually okay. wanted to see him as captain. I want to see him grow into that role more. I agree. No, I agree. I think he should be a captain at some point. Yeah. yeah. I, I just hate seeing him. But like, but as you're saying, Alan, and if we're all saying it, it always happens because what's funny, it, it's the blessing and the curse. Every Star Trek episode or series you've ever seen, everybody on the ship is the best, period. And so oh, in real sure. life, you know, and in real life, they would all get their own commands real quick. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So you can't do that. Discovery, mm-hmm. it seems like the, the initial creation of the show, it was about a group of scientists who were on a yeah. this crazy science vessel that gets conscripted into a war and were following the scientists. But mm-hmm. then they had a new showrunner every seven episodes. And so that, <laughs> you know, but you, but as a result, you've got Saru, Stamets, Tilly, Burnham, all scientists, and they're 
pretty much the, all the main characters. And yeah. So yeah. now they're having to do a lot of weird shuffling to get them into because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like another the other Star Trek shows where they're created with a command crew. So you've got a main character in any of those key spots. Yeah. Yeah. One other real quick thing I want to throw really real quick I thought would make which uh, an actual a technological a technological usage and a convenient storyline that made sense was Stanmitz projecting himself into a hologram it actually made sense if you have that kind of technology because you could see that in the dark future in real life where things like um, as we're recording this I was listening to the fact that in this that in uh, Russia there's um, there was a um, a mining accident in a mine in Russia where 52 men have died because of methane gas in there. And I was thinking about in the future, if you could do that, you would absolutely do something like that where you would project your consciousness into a hologram, which has like the doctor or even a robotic body. So I thought that was actually a cool use of a technology. It didn't feel like a gimmick that time for me. But now they need to explain why anyone beams anywhere. Exactly, (laughs) right. (laughs) This should be every away mission. Why did they do that last week to go over to the... Yeah, exactly. And then I thought that. And then last season, when they're on Radiation Planet, Uh, that was a perfect solution for it. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know what they'd have to do, um, Alan, is they'd have to do what they did here is why they would have to, like, in, in, in our current times, one of the worst plot devices they have to do now is every mystery show or movie, they have to have somebody explain that somehow they didn't get cell phone service because we're always like, oh man, all you do is call somebody. Right. So they kept talking about how it was interfering with, so they would have to say the radiation interferes with the link. But otherwise, yeah, wouldn't it be fun if you start seeing shows where the captain's like, go down? They're like, you what? What? Go down? Well, no, I'm not going down. Just, just give me that link. <laughs> yeah, give me the, give no. me the interface. I ain't <laughs> yeah. going down there. <laughs> they, I can see them like a teenager. They're like in their quarters on an away mission playing video games while, while down on the yeah. planet. Their holograms engage in a life and death struggle. <laughs> Stop playing Call of Duty, but I'm in yeah. life and death situation <laughs> in Call of Duty too. Right. I, I, I got. I want one more point, really quickly. Um, and this is on my favorite topic, which is the bridge officers mm-hmm. um and i have said for a couple of seasons you know mm-hmm. i know that they're never going to do an episode that is is all about owo or she's not going to get her own you know we got close last year with mm-hmm. the the five episode uh detmer um, right. well, yeah. uh through line which was uh, really great so but the solution is to just involve them in stuff you I know agree. So last week we saw uh, Reese being given the captain's chair while the others are off the ship. And he got some really nice scenes to do that. This mm-hmm. week we have Bryce who steps in with the solution to the problem. Yeah. yeah. And it was all based on, you know, things that he knew from past experiences. And that's what you do with these characters. Yeah. You make them integral for a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. you know. I, I do want yeah. to see more of them. I want to see more scenes of just them, but that's the way to make them feel like they're part of the crew and not just there to mm-hmm. answer the captain's commands. Well, you know, it's a formula, Alan, that they they've lost since the original series because right. the original series, everybody talks about, and this truth that for all practical purposes, the original series mostly was revolving around three people, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yep. But what people forget in the original series is almost every week they made, there was a guest star. And that guest star could have been an admiral or it yeah. could have been just some crewman, you know, like um, Carolyn Palamas with uh, Apollo. Or there was the episode um, where the, the the lady kept coming, the lady kept popping in saying, I am for you. And there was a geologist. And so they were always able to bring in a, like a, a guest of the week. And given what you're saying, they should almost add a, they should carve something in the script 
for that kind of slot, but use one of the bridge crew every week. And I think that would help. Yeah. I mean, Owo has gotten some nice bits in, in yeah. season two. She got on an away mission in, in the right. second episode, new Eden. Mm-hmm. And then in season three, she got her big hero moment in the last episode, saving the ship. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm that's, that's how you make these characters work. Right. And I think right. that uh, Owo and Detmer have gotten more of those little kind of things than Bryce or Reese have. And we've now started to get some of those for them in this season. Yeah. Well, so yeah. I'm like applauding. I know this is all Michelle Paradise. So, oh yeah, well, and Owo and Detmer are a little easier to focus on, I think, because they're right up because they're right up front. Exactly. And they've got very visible jobs, um, right? Right. But I mean, it's like the original series, though. Like Chekhov yeah. and Uhura were never the main characters, right? But you have to give them their little scenes, give them their pay. exactly, exactly. And yeah. So I hope they, like, like you said, I hope they keep doing that because Michelle Paradise seems to be real into doing that. All right. Okay. Any other closing thoughts before we wrap this up? A good transition show. I am. I'm still just wondering where it's going, and it's mm-hmm. it's still nice that I have no clue where it's going. Yeah. All right. Well, Alan, where can people find more of you on the internet? Uh, feltnerdy.com. Oh wait, that's not me. Sorry. <laughs> hey, no. come on over. <laughs> um. So cosmicpress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com, uh, the Hulanta group and page on Facebook. And my YouTube music show, Modern Musicology. We're going to be reviewing the the brand new Beatles documentary in our next episode. Oh, oh, I can't wait. It's going to be a long episode. (laughs) It will be. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We haven't even finished the first one yet. No, me neither. I'm uh, finishing it tonight. How about you, Keith? Um, You can find me in all the standard places, Twitter, Instagram, and on the ESO Network Facebook groups. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. And do you have a closing for us this week? Nook day. <laughs> okay. I'm pretty sure I used that in the past, but yeah. you use it. This you episode. did. And early in this episode. <laughs> yes, I know. That's why I thought of it. Oh, <laughs> well done. Thank you for listening to earth station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Oh, I should have said go back, which means no.